Welcome, welcome, welcome to Objection to the Rule. That's the sound of the cars outside on the rain. Remember last Friday when it rained? That's when we're recording this. Hopefully not too many things have changed too much, but certainly history is moving in accelerated speeds these days. This is Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm Matthew Schneming. We are uh, doing the show piecemeal, bit by bit. Today, we're going to open up with a wonderful interview that Teresa did with performer, activist, a woman who does a whole bunch of stuff, Ryan Nicole. After that, we have a wonderful piece that Jasmine put together and some good news with Emily, and then I close with a piece with Lacey Tauber, who is working on the field with Emily Gallagher, who's running for state assembly. So without any more further ado, let's ado. Here's that great interview with Teresa and Ryan Nicole. Welcome back to Objection to the Rule. This is Teresa Robinson. I'm here with this incredible national news segment. Um, I met this sister virtually. We've never met yet, um, but she is doing some really powerful work on the virtual world. And I'd like to welcome our guest, Ms. Ryan Nicole Austin. How you doing, sis? Thank you. Thank you. You know, all things considered, I am blessed. Um, I feel very protected. Uh, but, you know, also reeling emotionally from uh, what my community is undergoing, what our communities are going through right now. Yeah. Absolutely. How are you? Um, I'm hanging in here. Definitely trying my best to move forward. I feel like this is a time for all of us artists to use our passion um, in the best way possible. So I'm just trying to push on. But I am sore. I am sad. I am not defeated, though. So. So I can say that much. That's right. So one of the reasons that I wanted to interview for you for Objection to the Rule um, is because of the work that you've been doing. So you have been hosting this virtual open mic on Facebook and Zoom. Can you tell me a little bit about how you got started? Yeah. um, So when Shelter in Place was announced, uh, I actually was already sheltering in place because I have a a six-year-old son. And just wasn't comfortable with him being at school. So we had kind of, my husband and I and our son had been in the house for about uh, a week. And I anticipated that this was going to be the scenario for many people. When Shelter in Place was announced that same day, I reached out to community via Facebook just to see if folks would be willing, uh, interested in taking part in a open mic. And really just a platform to come together, to commune to heal, to express um, how they were feeling. Uh, This is something that I do all the time. I realize kind of in retrospect that when crisis hits our community, I gather community. I give um, people space to talk. Um, And I I didn't realize how valuable that was um, really until this scenario, um, until the quarantine virtual open mic where Folks were feeling isolated. I find that people feel isolated in their grief often. Um, and yes, I, I don't like to mourn that way. Um, it's not natural. And so uh, the only way that we could gather was virtually. And um, myself and my friend, DJ Champagne, 
decided to very quickly turn around and provide some kind of space for our community to process together, you know, um, yeah. to share our joy, to share our pain and just to process together. Okay, that's awesome. So how I found you, um, I was, I'm not sure if many of you know out there, but I lost my father to COVID-19 um, and I went home to my hometown of Cincinnati and shout out to Ohio. Um, and I was there and I just needed to connect with others in the world. I was um, on quarantine away from my family to prepare to go to the funeral and I needed to see somebody. So I looked out and there you were. Um, when I found you guys, I didn't know that you were in California, which I thought was awesome to be able to connect with other activists and artists all over the world. So yeah. I love this bi-coastal liberated energy we're sharing together. I think it's great. Me too. Me too. It's really wonderful. I mean, the first night that we had the, um, the open mic, we had people from all over, literally an international crowd. We had like 200 attendees and, um, over 50 people had signed up to perform. Um, wow. and it just, it's a testament to the fact that people, we need to be in community. It's not natural to be separate. It's not natural to celebrate together or separate, celebrate separately. It's not natural to mourn separately. And, um, we've been three months in this thing and we've had all experiences, you know, that span the range and we haven't been able to really be together. Um, but, you know, thank God for the, for the virtual universe where we can, you know, be in space and hold space for each other. Absolutely. Oh, there you are. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I am here. I just, uh, my dog likes to talk, so um, I don't have too much show time. But nonetheless, I'm back. So let me talk to you a little bit more about what you do in Oakland outside of this uh, open mic world that you uh, are doing. You're actually an artist and a community activist. Can you talk to me about some of the organizations that you work with? Yeah, yeah. Um, so currently I'm working with Eastside Arts Alliance as uh, their development associate. But uh, what that group is, is a group of, of um, progressive political movement oriented artists okay. um, who are multidisciplinary. So we have dance, we have painting, we have, uh, you know, all visual arts, we have music, we have theater um, and everything in between. And uh, this collective has been around for 20 years. Um, and I've been really honored to to be mentored by many of the leaders who have been there um, and now have come on as their development associate to help them continue to garner funds and stay for another 20 years and another 20 years after that and so on and so forth. Um, the organization itself is a third world people's organization, which and what that means is really uh, we we are connected to people of color who uh, and, and impoverished folks around the world. Um, the global global organization uh, with Bobby Seal at um, at the helm, and he's on the board on our advisory board. Um, wow. Yuri Kochiyama is on our advisory board. Yeah, it's a wonderful, extremely powerful organization. I see it as the vanguard um, to really stave off gentrification in in East Oakland, um, which is critical because you know, as many of our cities are, it's, you know, Oakland's being gentrified uh, rapidly and. Eastside Arts uh, Alliance really stands in a in a place stands in the gap to assure that um, you know people are have a voice at the table, considering yes. that we built built the table, right? Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know what I'm saying. Built the table, <laughs> the town, the city, and the nation. Um, exactly. 
So, yeah, so the organization itself uh, educates us about power movements so that we can supplement our art in, in that way so that our art is not aimless, that it's focused and purpose um, to liberating people. So I've been working there for like the last year and a half or so, but I've been partnered with the organization in different capacities for the last eight years. Um, wow. Yeah, prior to this, I was running another organization called Youth Movement Records. Um, and it was a young people's organization uh, patterned after a record label. So we let you know how old it was because um, record labels are kind of obsolete at this point. But it was patterned after a record label. And we work with young people around media literacy, critical consciousness development, developing media that um, that is is uh, oriented around power, around struggle um, and around progressive ideas. And uh, yeah. And spurned a lot of careers of, of young folks in the music industry. Um, uh, yeah. And, and help people kind of digest and critically um, consume the, the media that they are taking part in. Which and I've so been cool. around. Yeah, go ahead. Just been around. So go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to say that's so important, the work you're doing. Um, one of the reasons that I personally am launching Liberation, uh, which is my political open mic that I've a champion for many years is right now in this space is to help people to have a nonviolent resistance uh, method other than some of the ones that they already know. I definitely mm -hmm. feel that the, uh, your movement and my movement definitely connected. And I really appreciate that the work you're doing is reaching so many people because I can positively say that in sitting in these uh, different Zoom meetings with you, I have recovered in a lot of spaces in my artistry, I've been able to experience some incredible artists, connect community um, that's bigger than you. And there's lots of people. But when you got to reach outside of New York to find your community, that, that really says something about um, the effects of this shelter in place and how the people here are feeling. And yeah. your work is really important, sister, and I admire you um, for just, just spearheading what you been doing in the community and online. I think it's, it's something that needs to be acknowledged, which is why I actually be on the show today. I really appreciate you. And I know I'm speaking on behalf of Champagne too, who appreciates this, uh, this platform, but also we, we really appreciate your voice in the space, your vulnerability in the space. You know, when you show up, um, there's, there's a power that comes with you and we we're grateful. We're just grateful for your openness and your willingness to trust us, to hold you, um, you know, while you're processing. Well, thank you so much. So speaking of champagne, can you tell me a little bit about your partnership and, and how you guys got that vibe together? Because I swear, I've been listening to some of her poetry. I'm like, sister is deep. Really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, champagne is dope. Um, she and I have been kind of circling around each other in community for at least 10 years now. Uh, she is in, she's a thespian. She's mostly in the theater world. She's also a writer, as you notice and you mentioned. Um, she and I haven't had a chance to work together ex except for now. Like we've just been, you know, working around each other. She's seen me do theater. I've seen her do theater. Um, and when this opportunity came to four, she jumped on it and provided the platform, um, and, you know, provided the tunes and just, is one of the curators of one of the the curators of the space, which I, I say that and I kind of stumble over it because I don't want to diminish her her impact on um, creating space for us. Um, yeah, we have jumped headlong into this partnership and it's been wonderful. It's been healing for me in so many ways. 
uh, Champagne's also doing a juice fast. And I keep looking to my right because I'm drinking my juice. Um, she's been doing. What kind of juice is that? This is a spinach and apple um, juice. Nice. She's been, yeah, she's been a healing presence in so many more ways than one. Um, she helped me get on my fast and it's just holding me accountable in the process, which I really appreciate because I wanted to find a way to get closer to God in this time. I wanted to be closer to my discipline in this time. And, um, eating for me is a, uh, is a comfort you know, as, as, as it is for many of us. And I wanted to kind of break away from that, that crutch. Right. And she helped me do that. Champagne is, is a powerful force, um, and multi, multi-faceted, multi-talented, um, really grateful for her. That's awesome. That's awesome. Shout out to Champagne. So, um, so one more question I want to ask you, obviously we are in tumultuous times to say the least um, in our country from your side to my side up and down uh, people are hurting people are rioting people are uh, fighting back against oppression and um, just layers and layers that have been sitting there um, what was your experience like in the last week um, we're recording this on Monday June 1st so we are all um, just coming off of probably the worst weekend of the entire year can you talk to me a little yeah. bit about what the experience has been since the death of our brother George out in Oakland? Yeah, it's um I personally have been vacillating. I've been going between rage, intense sadness, intense nurturing, um as a mother, you know, needing to protect, but also as like a as a big sister, auntie mother of my community feeling the the broader need to protect, um, interests, people, businesses, so on and so forth. Um, and then also just trying to figure out where my self care is in this process. Um, you know, it is, it is, you know, George Floyd, I heard a statistic the other day that he's the 400th police murder this year. Um, he's the 400th police shooting, you know, police killing this year. This year that we just made it to the to the midpoint today. Um, and, you know, I don't say that to diminish his death at all, but I say that to say that this is a regular um, tragedy that we experience as a community. And what we're having right now is the perfect storm of circumstances wherein people are sheltered in place and they are fed up, wherein people are witnessing um our unhoused brothers and sisters here in Oakland experiencing the devastation of COVID-19 um, on top of obviously the devastation that it's ravaged, you know, the way it's ravishing the black community, the black and brown community. And we're experiencing the silence of our quote unquote leaders um, yeah. in this time. And so, you know, we have the perfect storm of circumstances for an uprising, for a riot. People are tired, obviously. Um, and we're witnessing the city burn while that is happening. You know, I'm, I'm, I stand wholeheartedly with my people and I'm having a, a hard time because I've been part of rebuilding this city, um, and have been part of supporting my friends and family who are, you know, low middle income folks to create small businesses in this community. Um, and to watch them be damaged, um, to watch them be ransacked, 
is a devastation that uh, is hard for me to stomach. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm just, I feel like I am being split in two right now uh, and just trying to find my place in this. And I know I don't have a lot of time, you know, none of us have a lot of time to wait and think and analyze and come up with the best philosophical solution for this. People are moving um, from a very visceral pain And uh, that requires immediate action. And so after I am done here, I will be on a show. But after I'm done with the show, I'm joining my brothers and sisters on the front line to clean up, to patch up and help restore. And, uh, you know, I'll probably be out in the streets tonight to both protest and protect, um, you know, my people. Yeah, because that's part of it, right? I definitely... Um, agree with you with the protection, um, the order that's upon us as, you know, those middle people. We're not the elders, we're not the youth, you know, but I can definitely look back to times when I was on the streets protesting when I had been on the front lines and I can only imagine how enraged our young people are feeling right now uh, with all the other circumstances that they are facing with COVID and schools and everything just being disarray in this country. So I totally get it. Um, I think that forums like the ones that we are representing are healthy alternatives to offer to people, uh, to you. Even if you're not reading poetry or participating and speaking on these calls, there is a certain um, level of just humanity that happens when people come together in crisis. And um, definitely they need to feel that there is a connection and a protection from people like us um, who speak out for them. So I agree. Definitely think that's important that you are out there to protect them. Please protect yourself. I want to see you again. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I mean that wholeheartedly, you know? Amen. Amen. Yeah. No, I, I, I will be seen again. I'm not, you know, I'm not the, the 21 year old that I used to be, you know, running around and, and being and screaming in cops' faces. Uh, <laughs> you know, I got a, I got a baby at home. Um, but you know, People need to be heard. And I agree, you know, platforms like like liberation, platforms like quarantine are um, important to to feel like you're heard. And and I think, you know, I underestimate the power of that. But yesterday we went out, my my husband, my son and I went out to uh, demonstrate on behalf of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery and all the countless others. Um, And it was a car caravan um, hosted by the anti uh anti-police terror project here in Oakland. And uh, there were thousands of cars out. And I will say I was heartened to see the non-people of color, you know, in their cars in support of um, what felt like my son and my husband in that moment, what felt like me, you know, um, I felt like I felt heard. And I didn't expect, I didn't anticipate to feel that way. I didn't, I didn't anticipate to feel heartened. I thought we were going to call out and I was going to be angry and I was going to return back home angry. And, yeah. um, I wasn't the energy. So I just want to say that as, um, as a testament that, uh, you know, and as an affirmation that, yeah, you know, being heard is a big deal. You know, being seen is a big deal. Not feeling invisible in your pain is critical. And I don't care how small or large the platform it's important to find them. It's important to provide them so that you can um, you can share and be seen and be heard and be reflected. Uh, that's critical. 
And I definitely um, are grateful to be a part of Radio Free Brooklyn, um, a nonprofit organization that allows people like myself and yourself uh, to express our views and share our work, share our music. Um, so speaking of, I have one more challenging question that we'll get to the fun stuff. Okay. Um, the other challenging question is, can you talk to us a little bit about our allies, allyship, mm-hmm. how you feel about that topic? I was on a call yesterday with some members from my church from a 2030s ministry I'm a part of, and we had to discuss it because there um, are people in the community that are going out during this time who are acting as allies and then they're the ones doing the looting. There are our ally friends on our social media who are afraid to post or are speaking out or don't know what to say. And um, I definitely think it's a, a topic for us to discuss in a larger spectrum. Just, you know, for me, I'm a big history buff. Every time I talk about something, I like to look at the history of what this is. I'm from Cincinnati, Ohio, where yeah. the Underground Railroad was the road to freedom. So allyship has been big in my life. You know, I'm coming from a community that had Quakers and a whole bunch of uh, abolitionists. I like to consider myself an abolitionist uh, because obviously uh, this modern day lynching has not, it's not ceased. So, you know, just some thoughts for the community, uh, for both sides, you know, first, just to us, how to, you know, our, just your take on it. And um, also to address the other side, the allies themselves, is there anything they can do to help movements like ours to be more effective? Yeah, uh, great question and uh, very prescient, uh, you know, timing. I think, you know, so I believe in allyship. I believe in accomplice, accomplices, though. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, um, I think, you know what I'm saying? I need comrades. I think it's time to elevate, uh, the, the, the request, um, to elevate the action. Um, you know, the, the other folks have been standing idle for quite some time. And were it not for this perfect storm, they probably still would be idle. They'd still be at home questioning as to whether or not there was validity in our in our anger. And that's the first thing. I think, you know, if you see yourself as a human, then you should see yourself as an ally and or accomplice. Um, and you shouldn't then be questioning the validity of people who are harboring 400 plus years of degradation. Um, so there's there's the first thing and you got to really question yourself. You have to introspect and ask as a as a person, a non-person of color, what or a person of not, you know, not of color, um, what your hesitation is behind seeing other people, black folks in particular, as human beings um, who have a right to feel in the midst of, you know, all of this devastation that, that we constantly experience. Um, I think, uh, you know, obviously like there's the, there's the round table discussions, there's a dinner table discussions that all of us need to be having, all of you need to be having with, you know, your, your cousins and your uncles and your daddies and your mothers who, you know, deem themselves conservatives, so on and so forth. Um, but also there is like the very real right now things is you got to get out of the way. Um, you have to take, be willing to humble yourself to take leadership from the people who are actually experiencing, you know, this challenge. Um, you have to put your body on the line, you know, uh, and, and that doesn't mean speaking. That just means putting your body on the line. That means, you know, if there is a line, if you are marching and there are police officers, um, intent upon confronting your brothers and sisters of color, put your body out there. I bet you it will give pause to those police. 
um, you know, uh, you have to on the job, you know, if you see, uh, and I'm sure you are witnessing, um, you know, people second guessing your, your colleague of color, people, um, you know, uh, uh, gaslighting your colleagues of color, people not validating, um, their experience, validating their wisdom and intelligence. You have to stand up. Don't take credit for their work. I mean, the, the list is long. The list is long. And I think the opportunity to, to learn is ripe right now. And that's really the posture that I encourage allies and accomplices to take. Allyship is, starts with learning. Accomplices, uh, is that next level. Once you graduate from allyship, then you can move into accomplices. Um, and, and it's not until that point. Yeah. So don't try to, you know, quantum leap into accomplice, uh, level until you have been in as an ally, you know, and then as an ally, you need to know that your posture yes, is a posture of learning. That's all I, I, I can say at the moment. Yeah. You put that very well. And I think that, you know, um, I'm definitely open to discussing this more, you know, um, on objection to the role. I think this is an a area of opportunity for all of us to learn from both sides. You know, I definitely think it's, it's something we need to learn to receive and give um, in, in all areas of struggle. So I appreciate you speaking on that. All right. So just to lighten the mood, let's talk about this music. When right. I was looking you up, I was like, oh, my, I became one of your biggest fans. Hey, definitely. hey I like that. I like that. Definitely uh, looking forward to playing your track after this interview. Uh, can you talk to me a little bit about who you are as an artist? Yeah. I mean, I came to this art really as, so you, you're in, on the ground, you come from the hollow ground of, of, uh, the, the abolitionists who started the rail, you know, underground railroad. I come from the hollow ground of the abolitionists who started the Black Panther Party. So, yeah. I, you know, I'm sure everything that you do is imbued with, you know, the, the movement of, of freeing bodies. Everything that I do is imbued with the movement of freeing bodies. Um, and so I didn't get into this music. So I got into this music as a freedom fighter and I got into music because, uh, we, we sing songs and they become, we are what we eat. We are what we consume. They become the mantras that we believe. Right. So if I'm singing, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, I'm about to drop it and pop it and I'm about to trick and blah, 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 blah. blah, And that's what I believe my life is. And that's the steps I'm going to walk in, whether I, I, you know, intellectually, like in the forefront, believe that to be true or not. But if I'm singing that I'm a powerful black sister and my king and so on and so forth, if I'm if I'm singing about liberation and freedom, then that's the steps I'm going to walk in, because that's the music that I'm not only am I consuming, it's the music that I am producing as a man. Think it. So is he you know, uh, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Right. And so, um, you know, so all of those things being true, I have to speak, uh, music that, that feeds my soul, um, to Mm -hmm. expect, you know, that to come back and for me to be fed. So, yeah. So my music comes from that place all the time. And, uh, sometimes it's angry, you know, because, because even Christ was, Cause that's how it be. You feel me? Even Christ went up <laughs> on the table and flipped the tables, you know? Um, and sometimes it's, it's, it's healing and beautiful and, and soft, you know, but it always comes from a place of, of uh, liberation. Awesome. Well, I want to thank you so much for joining me today for this interview and just this introspection 
about this moment in time. Uh, I think your work is awesome. Definitely going to be there to support you. Love to feature you in the upcoming Liberation production. Can you just tell them where to find you, share your mask, share, share wherever you are out there in the cyber world so they can look you up? For sure, for sure. I thank you so much, first of all, Teresa, uh, for, for inviting me and you know, by proxy, inviting the whole quarantine family in on this. Uh, you can find me at Miss Ryan Nicole on all handles. Uh-oh, sorry. I don't know if you can hear the background, but my show is about to hit. Okay. <laughs> Miss Ryan Nicole is where you can find me. And uh, I will, uh, I'll, I'll tap in with you. Hit me in my DM. <laughs> all right. And what song will we be playing for you today? Uh, I don't, I think you'll be playing, um, Heartbeat, potentially. I'm not sure. I'll send it to you. Okay, okay sounds good. All right. All <laughs> you didn't know, y'all should know. I gotta go. Thank you so much for everything, and we will see you on Wednesday at the virtual open mic. All right, sister. Have a, have a blessed one. Be well. Thank you, Teresa, for that great interview. Here's a song by Ryan Nicole. It's Killers, not the song Heartbeat that she referenced that song. I couldn't find it when I immediately searched. But the song's dope. It's a live performance. Really cool. Thanks. Be back in a couple minutes. Oh! Okay, okay. So I don't know if you guys know, you're, you're at a hip-hop show. This is, this is rap music. And uh, I don't know if they do rap like this at Yoshi's, you know. But we about to do something. So... This show isn't just about stunting. We about to get real serious real quick. Because I see what's happening in the news. In fact, I live my life as a freedom fighter. That's not just conjecture. It's not just talk. I'm an activist to the heart. And all this nonsense going around, taking down all my brothers and my sisters, I ain't having it, you know? So I do what I can, and that's everything. I give everything to the fight for freedom, you know? Cause look, everybody out here ain't sold. All that shit you hear on the radio, they sold out. But everybody's not sold, you know? Listen, all that glitters ain't gold. All that wisdom ain't gold. All that hurt ain't told. All that ain't Cause all these killers ain't gold. on your feet, huh? red bottom, yeah, got a blood on your soul and the diamond, sodomite elite, can't compete with your conceit, it's Goliath, giant, they do fall to it when they do, huh? I'ma have me a clear view from my high horse throne, through that rock and jaws, my house made of stone, you can try to tame the truth, but I sue the dragon, huh, puff and pass it all around, weigh the scales on that scale, they ain't too big for my crown, if they a wolf, I bail wolf, they bark as big, but I bite bigger, chump, chump. All these people think, all these people think, all these people think. 
Welcome back to Objection to the Rule. Up next is Jasmine. Take it away. Hello, this is Jasmine Smith. You're listening to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. It is Friday, June 5th at almost 5 o'clock in the evening. I'm here in Brooklyn with my cat, Dre. And this story is one I wanted to share because it's it's very recent. Um, it's different from what I had originally planned to talk about on this week's episode, but I think it's extremely important. So this article that I'm going to be quoting is from the New York Times, um, and the title is Buffalo Police Officers Suspended After Shoving 75-Year-Old Protester. And the authors are Neil Vigdor, Daniel Victor, and Christine Hauser. So in Buffalo, New York, which is in western New York, a 75-year-old peace activist named Martin Gugino of the New York Peace Center was shoved to the ground by Buffalo riot police on camera. So I, there is a video that's floating around on the internet. It's been all over social media. If you would like to see it so that you can see for yourself, it's very easy to find. But personally, I'm telling you, it's an extremely graphic video and it's highly disturbing. So here's a a description of what you see and also what you see after. So, quote, after the video shows Mr. Gugino stopping in front of the officers to talk, an officer yells, push him back three times. One officer pushes his arm into Mr. Gugino's chest, while another extends his baton toward him with both hands. Mr. Gugino flails backward, landing just out of range of the camera, with blood immediately leaking from his right ear. Again, quote, an officer leans down to examine him, the video shows, but another officer then pulls the first officer away. Several other officers are seen walking by the man, motionless on the ground, without checking on him. So Buffalo, the city of Buffalo is within Erie County. The Erie County District Attorney's Office said that prosecutors were investigating the incident. Gugino, on Thursday night, because this happened just yesterday as of the time I'm recording this, Gugino was unable to provide a statement Thursday night. But as of today, Friday, June 5th, he's still in the hospital. He's recovering. He's alert and oriented. So let's hope that he continues to recover and he, you know, recovers as fully as he can from what happened. Another thing that I want to point out is that even though the video is clear as day what happened to him, that he was pushed down and left to just bleed out on concrete. The official statement released by the Buffalo police said that the man tripped and fell, which is obviously a lie. And because the video has spread like wildfire on social media, everyone knows that it's a lie. Um, Fortunately, but, you know, it's definitely not enough. The officers that are seen on tape pushing the man have been suspended. I'm not sure if they're suspended with pay or suspended without pay. And as of this morning, uh, this is something that I saw when I woke up and I initially had a positive reaction to it, but then I read a little bit more about the reason behind it. So as of Friday morning today, 
John T. Evans, who's the president of the Buffalo Police Union, said, all 57 officers on the emergency response team, a special squad formed to respond to riots, had resigned from their posts on the response team. And this is the reason in support of the officers who were suspended. He continues, 57 resigned in disgust because of the treatment of two of their members who were simply executing orders. So 57 people knowing full well what happened to an elderly peace activist that you can see on tape walks up with a mask on and asks peacefully, what are you doing? And then is shoved down and left to bleed on the street. They're not disgusted by that. They're disgusted that the people who are responsible for this man being in the hospital were suspended, not fired, not convicted. They're upset that they were suspended for enacting this violence on an old man. And I just, I really want people to understand that if this is what police officers are doing, in full view of everyone, on tape, broad daylight, to an elderly man who is a self-proclaimed peace activist, he had no weapon, he wasn't loud. This is what they're doing to someone like that and then lying about it when the whole world can see that it's a lie. What do you think has been happening for years to people where there's no video evidence, the people who are not white, who maybe aren't peaceful, because honestly, you don't have to be peaceful. When you have people that are literally a threat to your life and they're oppressing you, this overemphasis on, oh, like we all have to be peaceful, it's a trap. They're not being peaceful towards you. If this is what they're willing to do to white people, that put an emphasis on not being aggressive and being peaceful. You need to wake up to what's going on when people in the U.S. military go abroad and enact these same types of violence on other people that you will never see. You need to be aware that they're doing 10 times worse, out of sight, out of mind, off camera, to Black people, to trans people, to poor people, people with addiction, Nearly half of the people that are killed by the police in this country are people that have some kind of disability. And there's also people who exist at many different intersections, like they might be black and trans and have an addiction issue. How do you think people like that are treated by the police? If this is what they're really willing to do to a senior citizen. So hopefully... It's sad that it has come to this, but I really, really hope anybody that is listening, anybody that is in the sound of my voice that has not been taking this seriously, you need to understand all of this violence that police are responsible for, for the sake of maintaining a caste system in this country. It's been exported and kept out of view and reserved mostly for marginalized people that the general public feel are acceptable targets for this violence. But we're seeing now with all these uprisings going on in all 50 states, that all of that violence that used to not affect certain people, 
those certain people can be the victims of it too as soon as they decide to stand up and protest against what's happening. So we'll keep you updated on our Facebook page. I'm going to be posting updates about Mr. Gugino's health. Um, again, I'm hoping that he and his family are able to get through this because it's really, it's truly disgusting what happened. Um, I'm very happy to see that all 57 of the police officers in that emergency response unit have resigned. Um, you know, I know that on this show and in a lot of other shows, there's always this, this knee jerk reaction to talk about like, oh, well, there's, there's some, there's some good police officers. There's some good. Let's not say, well, the good people, the good apples that had some kind of imp impulse to go check on the old man, they were pushed right along by everybody else in that phalanx. So this is what happens when you want to focus on interpersonal, individual, oh, but some of them are nice. Well, guess what? If you're part of a system that is rotten to its core, it doesn't matter how nice you are. So we're going to keep you updated on what's happening, not only in the Buffalo Police Department's ranks. Hopefully these people that have resigned stay resigned and don't go back to work. And I hope no one replaces them. So we can see that a lot of what is going on is people creating violence and instigating violence, perpetuating violence in order to justify their roles as quote unquote peacekeepers. And I want more of us to be aware of how much of a lie that that really is. So the more we see people rising up and deciding that, you know what, we can have a world without police, the more that it's starting to happen in other places where police departments are losing contracts, the more other people are going to see if it's possible in that city, it's possible here. If these cops are resigning in disgust or whatever, and the world doesn't collapse, what's the purpose of rehiring them? Why not redirect that money somewhere else? So stay tuned, continue to listen to us for updates on what's going on, um, not only locally, but nationally and internationally. I hope that you and your loved ones are staying safe and staying inside as much as you can. Um, and like I said, we'll keep you updated on this and other stories that we've brought to you via our Facebook page and also on next week's show. Thank you for listening and enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Goodbye. We're going to take a music break. This is Dijo Melody Tunkara. The name of the song is Fanta Barama. I heard this song years ago, and I, I loved it. So I'm happy to share it with you. Be back in a couple minutes. Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn.
an interview I had with Lacey Tauber. It's about the election. Speaking of the election, deadline to request an absentee ballot is June 16th. Early voting starts June 13th and ends June 20th, or you can just vote in person on June 23rd for the primaries. If you're a registered Democrat, June 23rd is the day. Go to vote.nyc for more information on where, when, and how to vote. Lacey Tauber has worked in government and is a member of the political club New Kings Democrats. Lacey is working on field with Emily Gallagher for her, sorry, for her state assembly race. Emily Gallagher is running for state assembly representing the 50th assembly district, which is Greenpoint, parts of Williamsburg and Clinton Hill. This is the second half of another interview, so we're going to pick up right in the middle of the conversation. Let's let's talk about Emily Gallagher. Uh, she's running for state assembly. Is this race is I think does kind of embody a lot of 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 what you uh, believe in. It's it's a Democrat trying to get rid of an establishment Democrat. Tell me about why why it's important. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, Emily's actually been a friend of mine for a really long time. We both started kind of doing community activism work in North Brooklyn around the same time, which was around 2008-ish. Um, and 
you know, I've just seen her be a real champion for the community over all those years and work on lots and lots of different issues from like tenant organizing to um, responsible planning. I mean, as you know, like the Williamsburg uh, development development in North Brooklyn and Williamsburg and Greenpoint has just been crazy. And, you know, trying to kind of be an advocate against displacement, mm-hmm. um, working with a lot of other organizations in the community. Yeah. Why does, why, why are incumbents so popular? Why is her opponent? <laughs> well, listen, uh, listen, I mean, so her, her opponent is um, Joe Lentall. He's been in office since 1972. Before that, it was his father, and before that, it was his grandfather. So um, it's a long time for a person to be in office. And, you know, in my capacity or in various capacities, I have worked with Joe and his staff in the past. The issue with, with Joe has really been more that he's been kind of reticent to be a leader on some of the progressive issues. And often he does end up there in the end, but he's not out there in the beginning of an issue, you know, being a, a real supporter of um, progressive issues. For example, like, you know, the cancel rent uh, movement right now, uh, you know, I, I can't speak with great authority to all the different bills in the uh, in the mm-hmm. state right now and which one does what and all of that. But I do know that a lot of his constituents feel like he's been slow to support, um, you know, issues like that and others. But I will also say that there are some kind of, um, you know, longtime residents in the neighborhood who like Joe a lot. Yeah. And I understand that. I How mean, come, when you have access to power, it's hard to uh, want to see change. But um, I mean, in general, what is what is the rationale behind the incumbent uh, strength? Like people complain oh, about like politics why all the why time. do incumbents in general why with the power of incumbency? I think it's a couple of things. One, it's name recognition. Just that's it's as simple as that. Is that like eighty um, percent of? I mean, uh, I, I'm not a, I'm not a political scientist. I, I wish I could answer that question. Um, I, I know that it's a big part of it. Is that how we got um, our president? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that's re- part of it for sure. You laugh, but it's real. Um, and honestly, like, I think that's why Biden has done so well, because people know him. Mm. So that's part of it. But then the other thing, and, you know, I'll tell you, uh, one of the things that's hard about a challenger campaign is that you don't have the same platform. Um, you know, right now, uh, incumbents have, uh, a staff working for them and a newsletter that goes out to everyone. And, you know, all of these things that, um, work to their benefit in a campaign, even though they're not campaign related. Mm. So who pays for that staff that for a campaign staff that has to all be. Yeah. Campaign staff is all raised money. Mm. All right. And then obviously like the state is paying for staff salaries and all that. Has there been the matching Um, thing for uh, Emily's campaign? No, there are not matching funds in state races. City races have matching funds and it is, uh, it makes a huge huge difference it makes eight times the difference right 
Or what's the matching amount? Nine? They just changed it. Oh. It's a lot. It, and so, you know, it's easier to fundraise when you can tell people your money is matched. So if you give X dollar, it's actually way more than that. Man. That's another thing I've wanted to look into the psychology of like, why do people, I mean, I guess it's, it's simple, right? You think you're more effective. Why would yeah, you? Yeah. I mean, you know, you're just like my $10 isn't going to do anything, but if my $10 is actually $90, then, you know, maybe that starts to chip away at the needs. Mm. And then, you know, what else, uh, is interesting is that, uh, you know, the, the state races, they can take money from like, um, corporations and, um, uh, representatives of those. And I don't know, basically if you, if you look at Emily and Joe's fundraising, Based on the last filing, which was just uh, a few days ago, uh, Emily had raised $26,839. Joe Lentall had raised $67,654. I will say this is um, just in this filing period. Um, He actually has way more than that. Um, Emily raised 100% from individuals. Lentil raised eight, sorry, eight percent from individuals. Emily had seven hundred and ninety-four individual contributions, and he had twenty-four. And Emily's average donation was thirty-four dollars versus two hundred and twenty-seven. Um, if that gives you a sense, and then and, and Lentil also got um, an, an infusion of twenty thousand dollars from the Democratic Assembly campaign. Sorry. $20,000 from the Democratic Assembly Campaign Committee, which is um, kind of the state party um, mm. giving money to try to protect incumbents. So, you know, it's it, that tells the story right there, right? It's just, um, you know, I don't live in North Brooklyn anymore, but uh, in general, I want my elected officials to be accountable to people. Thank you so much for coming on and explaining some of the intricacies of the democratic process. In, uh, in yeah, of course. Yeah. Wonderful. Thanks so much. Thank you. This was fun. <laughs> That was an interview with Lacey Tauber. She was working on field with Emily Gallagher, who is running for state assembly, representing the 50th assembly district, which is Greenpoint, parts of Williamburg, Williamburg, Williamsburg, and Clinton Hill. June 23rd is the primary day. Go vote. Vote Vote.nyc. Oh, yikes. That's the um, the curfew thing. Oh, my God. That curfew thing is insane. Anyway, uh, sorry. Curfew is terrifying. Okay, uh, here's a, some good news uh, that Emily put together. And it's going to be our last feature. So thanks for listening. Here we go. All righty. Uh, hello, Emily Scott here with some short and sweet good news. So this story comes from a June 3rd article written by William Fewer on CNBC.com titled, Who Says Coronavirus Has Not Meaningfully Mutated to a More Lethal or Contagious Form? 
So the World Health Organization, uh, which is I which I learned today is an agency of the United Nations, uh, has been tracking the genetic sequence of the virus in cases around the world to keep a lookout for mutations. According to Dr. Maria Van Kerkhove, head of the WHO's Emerging Diseases and Zoonosis Unit, there have been some, quote, normal changes that were expected. Um, I also learned what zoonosis is today. It's a disease that can be transmitted to humans from animals, so obviously super relevant here. Um, also, Dr. Mike Ryan, who is the executive director of WHO's Emergencies Program, said, quote, all viruses evolve. They can evolve in one direction. They can evolve in the other direction. To date, to my knowledge, we haven't seen any particular signal in the virus's behavior or in its sequence that would lead us to believe the virus is changing its nature, has changed in its transmission dynamics, or changed in its lethality. He also added that, in general, viruses, quote, evolve to live with humans. It's not in the virus's interest to do too much damage to the host. It wants the host to survive, he said. And that means that viruses generally become less lethal over time, allowing a host to survive and spread it more, which I didn't know. Learning a lot today. Um, so we reported on a, a similar news story about the mutation of the virus or lack thereof um, at the end of March. But it's really, really good news that it continues to be true. Uh, it has really positive implications for the work to create an effective vaccine. And uh, one last note on the story, uh, World Health Organization officials warned that becoming complacent about the disease is still dangerous, and we should continue to work with public health and social measures. And yeah, that's my good news story. Thank you, Emily. We'll be back next week, next Sunday at 1 p.m. on Radio Free Brooklyn. This is Objection to the Rule. You can find past episodes on iTunes or wherever you find podcasts. You can find us on our Facebook page where we post relevant articles and you can also get a hold of us on that page as well if you have any suggestions for local stories. That's all we got. We'll see you next week, Sunday, 1 p.m. Have a good time.